Welcome to the first season of the Astrid and Mew Brand Lab podcast, where we will get a sneak peek into iconic brands through their founders and leaders. We will talk about their personal and professional backgrounds and also talk about various current issues they stand behind. I am your host, Ani Nam, founder of Astrid and Mew. This week, I have with me Amanda Morgan, Managing Director UK of Diptyque, an iconic Parisian fragrance brand. Amanda started her career in Diptyque 16 years ago, rising through the ranks in a fast-growing environment. I sat down with her and talked about her career history, sink or swim experience, staying relevant with new entrants in the candle market. I want to highlight that she's a really great friend of mine and a mentor and an inspiration to me. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Hi, Connie. I'm really well. How are you? I'm very well. It's so weird to be talking to you on podcast. I know. <laughs> super weird. Super weird. Normally in a family setting. Yeah, so exactly. Quite exactly. weird in this padded cell. <laughs> so, so, Mandy, I'll jump straight into the questions. Tell us all about you, your career, your personal history, everything. What can I tell you? Um, I'm obviously Australian. Maybe it's not that obvious, but I definitely am from Melbourne, Australia. Moved over to London um, early 2004. So prior to that, living in Australia, grew up on a farm, um, had some different career opportunities in Melbourne, but really just wanted to explore something different. So yeah. arrived over here and, well, in a way, the rest is history, I guess. Um, yeah. So what brought you to here? I think um, definitely my love of traveling. I mean, you know, Australia is an amazing country, amazing lifestyle, but there's obviously a lot more out there, um, which I've always from a young age been really interested to explore other cultures, meet other people. So I guess, you know, being late 20s at the time, I just wanted to experience something completely different. So a good friend of mine um, and myself, we basically packed up and went to America for that classic cliche road trip on the West Coast. Amazing. Um, and then ended up in London, which was always the plan. Um, and at the time, it was really a, a two-year working visa, but yeah. it's 16 years now that I've been here. So I could oh, definitely wow. call London my home as much as what Australia is as well. Oh, wow. So was working for DTEK your first job when you came to London? Exactly. Yeah. yeah when I arrived, um, I really just just approached all the brands that I had a passion for, that I loved, um, and Diptyque was one of them. So I wrote uh, to the distributors of the time of the brand in London and was fortunate enough to um, get a sales job with them um, and worked very closely with, with the two um, founders of this distribution agency at the time. And that's really where my career with Diptyque started. Oh, wow. So Diptyque was just starting out at that time and you were starting out your career in the UK. Exactly. I mean, at the time that I joined um, the brand, it was with one boutique at the time, which mm -hmm. now we have six. I mean, it's really evolved over these yeah. past 16 years that I've been with them. But yeah, I mean, the brand was known in the UK, um, but being a French brand, obviously more well known in France, but yeah. it was still definitely starting out yeah. some small distribution with department stores. Um, and then, as I said, one store, but then from that time that I started working more closely with the brand, um, when the effectively the brand bought back the distribution um, from some investment from private equity uh, firm as well, it really gave us the capability to grow the brand much, much bigger in terms yeah. of retail, in terms of products. 
everything that you see today has been really evolving since then, even on e-commerce to a certain degree, because obviously at the time when I started, we didn't have the online channel. And how did your role evolve over time? I mean, it's completely changed, but I think definitely looking back from when I first started working with, I guess at the time, my two bosses, which did have this distribution company for the brand, but Diptyque was really the the main brand that they were working with. It was really a, a, a startup environment. So one of the guys, he was, you know, very passionate, very sales driven, uh, very PR and brand focused, while the other one was very much, um, you know, lawyer and finance background and operational background. So they so, had a really good balance. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they taught me a lot at the time. Um, and, you know, I guess in that sort of startup environment, that's how yeah. I, I learned quite a lot as well. And you've really grown with business. And what would you tell a young person who's starting out their career in a startup to evolve into, I guess, a role like yours? I think being curious is definitely something that I would, you know, tell people to, you know, do your homework, learn as much as you can about the topics. You know, you're not going to know everything and you can never imagine to know everything. So find out as much as you can. Surround yourself with experts of whatever yeah. that topic would be. Yeah. I think that's really important to just be passionate about what your yeah. what your topics are, but also yeah. do your homework and try yeah. and learn as much as you can. So how did you do your homework and how did you learn? Were they through books or people or podcasts? I mean, podcasts, I guess, didn't really yeah, exist that's back true. then. That's so true. it was quite old school, you know, books, other people. Um, back then, you know, there was things more like networking events. You would get the opportunity to meet very, very different people in different walks of life, I guess. Yeah. So it really was around that. But I think very quickly I understood what I didn't know. Um, I mean, when Diptyque Paris bought back the distribution, effectively they then put me in charge and I really didn't have a huge business background. I had no idea what a P&L was. Yeah. Um, that first year was wow. really... That must have been so daunting. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was really a sink or swim year. At the time, I was fortunate enough that my direct boss from Paris, her background was very financial. She was a trained accountant, uh, CFO type mm -hmm. position. So I guess you know, her training and I guess scrutiny of numbers, of figures, yeah. of business. That's what yeah. I really had to absorb very quickly. Yeah. And how did you fill that gap? Was it mainly this person in Paris or did you have to go through different avenues to fill that skill gap? Definitely. I mean, I'm still a believer of this today that you know, to surround yourself with experts. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at understanding what I don't know. And I try my best to yeah. get those experts around me. And yeah, that's, that's so a, important, isn't it? Self-awareness is first step. Yeah, which, yeah. you know, it's taken years, you know, we're still, <laughs> still learning, I think, on that topic, definitely. Yeah. But I think there's different topics that you're never going to know as much as what, you know, these trained experts and yeah. skill-based people yeah. um, that you need to really bring into whatever organisation yeah. you have. I mean, even today, to be honest, my my key people in the team is definitely the CFO and the HR, which is yeah. so important these days and, yeah. uh, you know, really skilled salespeople as well. But yeah. um, and of course, marketing, but really the partnerships is really around the people. So mm -hmm. HR and this yeah, my CFO yeah, are yeah. probably the two most important yeah, people in yeah, the organization. So, true. so I know that you've built that team from scratch in the UK, didn't you? How did you um, how do you find these people and what do you look for? in case some of our listeners want to work for you at Diptyque? Well, we're always looking for new people <laughs> and I think we're definitely in a, you know, this unique situation that we are now where I think all organisations have to look at their structure and see, you know, how agile they can be. And I think that's really um, the main thing that you need to change or you'll fail. I think that's really a, a true statement where 
the nature of the business has evolved from, you know, retail to online to yeah. this, you know, different shopping trends. So I think, you know, we always have to review the organisation and make sure that we can be as flexible as what our consumers and what the business needs are. Um, and that's really what we look for, you know. It's yeah, agility, what, flexibility. Definitely. Yeah. because And I think having a smaller team, you know, we're not a huge, huge organisation. Um, in saying that, we definitely need structure. That's something yeah. that's, you know, in business, you absolutely need to be mm-hmm. as organised as you can. But still being able to have that sense of, you know, that almost startup mentality where yeah. you can be flexible enough and especially in the climate like we are today. And I'm personally a big believer in corporate culture or company culture. What's your culture like and what are your values? I mean, locally, we we have a pretty open door culture, if that makes sense, where yeah. we absolutely have a hierarchy of sorts. But at the same time, I want to make sure that everyone's opinions are heard, yeah. no matter what level you are in the organisation. Um, I mean, we've got a pretty friendly team and respect mm-hmm. and kindness are always two key values, no matter what the, the what the role is. Um, a lot of our head office, I guess, corporate people have come from a retail shop floor environment. And I mm-hmm. think at some point in their career, and I think that's really, really critical, no matter if you are the CFO or, you know, the marketing director or head of sales, it's really important because to have that, I guess, you know, empathy of what it's like to be customer facing or, you know, to be in that type of environment, it will make all the work that you're actually doing behind the scenes mean so much more. And you can learn so much, so much more by facing customers, right? Every time I go into the stores, I learn so much more than sitting behind my desk. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this situation we're in right now, which is very much, you know, this challenge of, working from home, not being as much in the office, I think it's still really, really important to, you know, go out and see what is obviously safely, but go out and see what is happening. What is, you know, how are the customers shopping? What are they looking for these days? How are they reacting? How are your staff? How are they reacting? Um, It's still really important to make sure that you can, you know, be all together at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, I guess speaking of lockdown and working from home, how have you dealt with COVID and the lockdown? How did you manage your team remotely? How did you motivate them? Very interesting question, which I'm sure is the topic <laughs> of uh, everyone's you know, conversations these days. But I think something that really helped me individually, but also as a team, I guess, was knowing that we really are all in it together and not just in the UK, but in France, America, globally, this is really something that's happening Um, So therefore, you as a human have some sort of common knowledge knowing that, well, someone else over the other side is absolutely going through the same thing. So, and, you know, it's not like we've dealt with this before. So I think there was a certain degree of learning from each other. We definitely kept really in touch with all of our key clients, our key suppliers, you know, shared the information with other countries just to make sure that we're, you know, communicating enough um, on these different topics so that we can react and we can take care of things that maybe we aren't thinking of. But in terms of motivating the team, I mean, it's, you know, communication was really key. Um, We all, you know, we've all learned these techniques of the Zoom call or the, you know, Google (laughs) Hangout, et cetera. I mean, these types of things are just, you know, what we do now. Um, And that was important. But I think we also went through these phases of perhaps over communicating. You know, I don't know everyone's WhatsApp's going crazy and there's too many (laughs) Zooms and we just need some peace and quiet. So I think 
you know, it was an interesting time and, you know, we have to prepare ourselves for what's going to come. But I think really the communication and just checking in on each other, not just on business sense, but really on a human level was and will be really important. Yeah, yeah. Communication was definitely key for us as well. And I I think when we spoke privately, you talked about uh, every Tuesdays not having screen time. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I thought that was really interesting. And after we spoke, I started switching off my videos. Yeah, so I think... You know, when we have different meetings, we always think you have to show your face. But at the same time, you know, we can be respectful that some people are, you know, outside. We need exercise. We need just a change of scenery. We can't be cooped up in a room, you know, all day. I mean, we're lucky enough that we aren't in this severe lockdown right now. But, you know, the environment is that, you know, why not be a little bit more flexible in terms of if it's just a call that you don't need to see each other's face, of course, walk around, go and, you know, do it in the park, go and do it somewhere else just to make sure that, you know, you're not up at six o'clock in front of a screen (laughs) and then going to bed with a screen. I mean, that can be really exhausting. And I think we definitely can't underestimate how much, you know, mental stimulation we're all getting from this particular situation because we're all on phones, on screens, on, you know, different forms of technology sometimes we just need some space and just to take a break yeah definitely i mean i i actually want to delve deeper into your leadership so i personally struggle to find that balance find balance of um i guess stepping in too much but then not stepping in but actually knowing what's going on do you have any techniques for i guess budding leaders or leaders who are struggling with this i mean it's really a learning curve and i think every time we you know, have a new team member join or change the structure in a slight way. We're learning new things all over again. Um, And I think that notion of wanting to know everything and really wanting to know the detail that just comes from, you know, being passionate about your business and you being a founder. I mean, it's really innate in you because it's your baby, so to speak, in terms of your brand. I do feel very strongly about this brand you know I do feel a particular yeah. ownership because I've yeah. been working yeah so. I can feel it whenever you yeah. talk about Diptyk you um talked about it as if you're the founder and you're the owner yeah well, I'm absolutely not the <laughs> not the founder or the owner but However, I can feel that passion yeah definitely you talk about Diptyk. yeah and I think it is really that passion that hopefully is instilled with all the team members in terms of you know, being proud of the brand you work for and all the way through to the products, but all the way through to, you know, the customers um, on that shop floor, so to speak, or, you know, online, so to speak. But I think it's it's definitely difficult in terms of as we grow to, I guess, manage your time in the most effective way. And I always sort of pull myself back to that in terms of, you know, my core team and what do they need from me? What do they expect from me? And how can I add value to their sides of the business that they're all working on? And, you know, on this particular day, is it appropriate or am I actually needed to get in the weeds, so to speak? So it is a juggle in terms of um, depending on what the topic is. I mean, if we have really big new launches. So for example, we're launching um, later this week, Decoration. It's a new category for the brand of Diptyque. And because it's so new and there's so many different touch points to it, I'm very eager to know every single thing that's going on. However, at a certain point, I definitely need to let the team (laughs) do their jobs because, you know, micromanaging is something which is not, it's not good in the way that your team won't learn anything and it's not helpful for anyone absolutely not helpful for the brand for you for you know the business at the end of the day and I think you know we definitely employ people 
for their skill set and at a certain point we need to let them bring that knowledge yeah. bring their outside skills into the organization and and teach us you know i mean yeah, every new pe- person that i bring in i want to make sure that i'm learning as much as i can from these people mm. yeah that's really good advice and let's talk about the industry candle industry i know that diptyque is um way up there in terms of prestige and i guess the cult status and everything but there are so many um other brands that are popping up how do you make sure that you retain that iconic status while you have all these young brands popping up or you don't really care or these are not competitions? I mean it's definitely competition and I think you know we while we're humble we need to make sure that we're really staying on track of what's going on out there and you know our brand it really touches across many different I guess luxury lifestyle points and categories so definitely home fragrance and candles is one of the biggest ones that we're definitely known for and I think you're right I mean we you know launched the first candle more than 60 years ago and I think home fragrance, particularly in the last five years, it really, really has evolved where a lot of fashion brands, a lot of design brands, a lot of, you know, different fragrance brands are definitely bringing out um, new home fragrance products. I think we have to keep ahead of trends, basically, where we're not, you know, we're looking at trends, but we're not following them. And in some cases, hopefully, fingers crossed, we are setting them to a certain degree. But innovation and innovative products is certainly something which we pride ourselves on and it's always about the quality of the product as well and I think when you if as a consumer if you burn a diptyque candle you really know about that quality you can smell it you can you know really feel it in the room um, and I think that's definitely what's going to stand out between us and other brands yeah. um, at the end of the day we are a fragrance brand so you know perfuming your home or your space is really what that candle is for whereas there's a lot of other um, brands out there that might be more fashion or design led, for example. Um, it's not necessarily our, you know, our core purpose, but it's yeah. definitely in there. But I think we, you know, we do have this cult following for a certain reason, but it yeah. always comes back to really about the quality of that product and the quality and the integrity of those ingredients. Yeah. You've actually juggled managing another cult brand, Byredo, for seven years on top of running Diptyque. Can you tell us more about that and how you juggle the two brands? Juggling is absolutely the right um, (laughs) adjective, so to speak. It definitely was a juggle where I was lucky enough to to definitely be involved with with Byredo and it was when our parent company effectively um, invested in the brand and it was back in 2013. So I was working quite closely with Ben uh, Gorham, who was the founder, is the founder. Um, and, you know, slowly over the years, we really grew that brand as well in the UK. Um, I guess the idea was that because we shared similarities in terms of, you know, production techniques and different um, corporate structure, the idea was to take some of that expertise from the brand Diptyque and really enable um, Byredo to to grow to the different strengths that it has. But it's absolutely a completely different brand in terms of the product categories, in terms of the branding, in terms of what it stands for. Um, And it was a really interesting time. And I think in terms of juggling the two, it was becoming really, really quite challenging Mm -hmm. where which to be frank, it's why, you know, the decision was made earlier this year to put in charge a, a, a different GM, particularly for that brand, yeah. so that then I can get my eyes back on Diptyque yeah. and because both brands. these are two prominent brands. Yeah. I can't imagine juggling two brands at the same time. Yeah. Huge responsibilities. I mean, definitely a learning curve. You know, we opened this huge flagship store 
um, or building really um, in the heart of Soho, which was definitely a learning curve for me. I've never uh-huh. learned so much about building control and regulations <laughs> and architects and all sorts of things. So definitely a learning curve. And I think, to be honest, it's what's kept me within this group for such a long time. You yeah. know, I mean, 16 years, um, it's a, it's a, it is a substantial time, but I keep getting thrown new challenges and keep learning. And that's yeah. absolutely what's kept me there, um, yeah. which I've been fortunate enough to, to continue that journey. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, as you mentioned, as managing director, you report directly to the founders and shareholders of the brand. Um, can you tell our listeners what exactly that entails? What are the responsibilities? I get, I mean, being a managing director of a subsidiary, because we are our own subsidiary in the UK, that comes with, you know, start to finish its own compliance and statutory requirements as a separate business, really, as a separate entity. Um, in terms of the reporting structure, being in charge of, of that team, of that, you know, business in the UK, there's definitely shareholders, board members, um, you know, that want to, to have the reporting line um, and all the explanations and the business level. So, it is, I guess, unique in the way that my, I guess, reporting line can sometimes be quite diverse because of the nature of the the business and the structure that we have. Um, but I find myself quite lucky enough that I do have, you know, I can pick up the phone to the different people at the mm-hmm. different levels. And I think that's what's really important as well, because it means that I have my direct boss, of course, um, but then I also have access to many other people, you know, in yeah. this parent company of shareholders, etc. And sometimes just to gain a little bit of perspective or ask for advice, etc. It's really always available. Uh, Amanda, if all these challenges are not enough, you were actually managing the US subsidiary at one point for a year, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, this was a very, very long time ago. So this was back in 2010, 2011. where there was a project out there, um, which I think we all thought it was going to be three months that turned into a year, but a really incredible experience of running both uh, countries, um, you know, flying back every two weeks, which was also an incredible experience at the time. But really an incredible country, very, very different um, to the UK. So in terms of learning curve, it was fantastic to have that US experience. I mean, even from a buying perspective, from the customer perspective, um, communication. I mean, Mm. everything was very, very different. So I think I learned that probably on my very first trip, understanding that you can't walk into a buying meeting and sit in front of, you know, the senior vice president at Barney's, for example, and have the same conversations that you would when you're sitting in front of Selfridges because it's just a different language altogether. So How, How are they different? I mean, I think the US, it's much more, um, I mean, my personal experience, but for me, it was much more, um, you know, the expectations of really hard business was much bigger at the Mm. time um, that I was there. But I think, you know, the UK, it's it's a lot of relationship building. It's a lot of uh, conversation um, over the years. Mm. But, you know, this is me being brand new and I didn't know these people. So it was mostly all about business, but Mm. quite interesting. Yeah. Were people communicating more directly uh, as the, I guess, stereotype of Americans versus British? Yes. (laughs) From my experience, yes. Yeah, it was really direct. But then at the same time, that was a great learning curve for me because, you know, I guess I had to really step up in terms of, again, a sink or swim experience where the expectations on me, it had to be very, you know, it was like hard business. It's it's something, you know, that was the task that I had at the time to really help that market. And there was a lot of hard decisions to to make, but that was my job. So yeah. yeah. And what are the differences in consumer behaviors in the US and the UK? 
from think, what you've observed personally. Yeah, from what I've and even now, I mean, we have a very close relationship with our US subsidiary, which is fantastic mm-hmm. because it means we get to share a lot of information and, you know, we do share customer trends, etc. Yeah, but I think they're much more, you know, in terms of the digital age, let's say, I, I find and even things like, you know, TV and web, etc. I think they were much more and are perhaps much more advanced than what yeah. we have been in the UK. But then at the same time, I think the tech that we have here is really interesting as well. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, all markets are different, but I think the one that we're probably learning the most about at the moment is, is really the Asian market because it's, you know, really evolving from what we knew it to be years ago. Yeah, yeah. And how has the Asian market evolved from what you've seen? I mean, not only do we see clearly more customers in the UK, and this is all pre-COVID, obviously we're in this situation now where there's there's no travel, but I think we're definitely experiencing a, a true, you know, exposure of the different cultures and we are now opening up in different subsidiaries and different markets and opening different stores but we're seeing now that you know the brand is reacting a lot more to that in terms of products we're making in different you know languages even how we're communicating on things all of this is now at the forefront of how we're considering rather than you know years ago it would be that we are still obviously now a French brand, but everything was just made in one language, for example. But now, of course, we're yeah. making sure that we cover all the different demographics. So, Mandy, let's talk about your mentorship at OK Mentor. Can you tell us more? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, OK Mentor is a fantastic community. And in fact, I've been so lucky to work with these incredible women that that started this um, this community, really. So Liz Stone and, and Steph Stanley. Um, I mean, Liz has started her own agency, um, media agency, and and Steph is, you know, fantastic at her career in, in LinkedIn. And these two women I met, in fact, at an event that we held in the Byredo building. Um, and, you know, these girls approached me and said, you know what, uh, we need to think about how we can help younger women in business and how they're, you know, potentially starting their own careers. But there's nowhere to, I guess, have you know, a community of different people to touch base with in terms of helping them along their career. So, I mean, these two ladies, they're absolutely fantastic and they've really, I guess, pulled together a lot of different talent in terms of women in the industry and business and effectively created this um, mentorship program, which is really, for a better way of describing it, really like a crash course where it goes over, you know, four to eight weeks and you discuss and learn different topics. So, Mm all the things from how to write your CV all the way through to how to interview, how to do your taxes, like how to prepare for things. I guess all things that you can't just, you know, find out by reading on the internet or in a book. So it's really about sharing that expertise that this group of women have from, and sometimes of course we get different guest mentors, et cetera, along the way, but it's really this community that young women starting out in their career can have a touch base in terms of learning different things from such different experts and being able to just share that because I mean, even myself, for example, I wish I had such a, you know, an access when I was, you know, going through my career because even some scary moments where you have to go and sit on, you know, and present to the board or you have to, you know, open stores or whatever you're doing that could be quite daunting it would have been really great to just have someone to touch base with to say hey this is what's going on you know yeah so in case anyone's interested in this network how does it 
work? Do you apply for it? Yeah, there's definitely yeah. application process. Um, and I mean, it's all on the website. So of course yeah. you can find it there. Just look up OK Mentor um, and you'll find out a lot about the community, about, you know, if you are a young woman and you're interested, of course, you can have access through yeah. this different uh, criteria. And also, I mean, in our industry and people that we know, if there's people that want to get involved, there's definitely a, a space and a place for you. Yeah. That's the idea. So last but not least, final question, what would be your advice to someone who's starting out their careers? I think in terms of advice, definitely be passionate about what you're doing and really know about that passion and why you're passionate about it. Because no matter what industry I think you're starting out in, if you're interviewing or if you're approaching people to really show that passion come through, it means a lot. I mean, even today or these days when we're recruiting people at different levels, if they come into an interview, but they really don't seem that excited, they're really not for us, you know? So I think definitely understanding the the passion, but really being curious as well Mm -hmm. and really trying the best you can to educate yourself with all of the different um, touch points around that industry or that brand that, or that, you know, business that you're interested in, because it really does go a long way to do your homework. Yeah. For sure. yeah. So what, what would be the best way to find out about DeepTeek? The website. <laughs> Obviously. Please go to our website. Yeah. And this podcast. <laughs> and this podcast, exactly. But yeah, definitely the website, which is, you know, going through some amazing transformations at the moment. There's a lot of new content. Um, and our stores, I mean, it's still something that even you know, with COVID, we're still very passionate about these retail spaces. It's the nature of it has changed in terms of, you know, what customers expect and what we Mm -hmm. really want them to come and enjoy and, you know, experience when they spend all that time, you know, coming into a store. But if you want to know more about the brand, definitely those touch points. Yeah, good point. Okay, thank you so much, Mandy for coming in onto my podcast. It You're was, very welcome. It's been fun. <laughs> it was great speaking to you. You too. <laughs> in a different environment. Exactly. Thank you, Connie. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Astrid and You Brand Lab podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please do make sure you like, subscribe, and leave a review. And to learn more about the Brand Lab, please come search on our website, astridandyou.com. Thank you.